Chapter Fourteen of Red Diamonds by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Caroline. Chapter Fourteen: A Place by the River. A river is an endless delight to minds that are in the least tinged with poetry. All my life long, I loved rivers and poets who sang of rivers. Ah, the memorable words of a great prose-writer who saw in his time many rivers the word river has its own invincible charm calling up to a wondrous mind visions of the yellow nile as it flows through hushed old egypt and her sands like some mysterious thought threading a dream of the mighty mississippi whose channel varies day by day of german rhine and gallic rhone and holy tiber and the arid bed of ilissus where athenian washerwomen try to find water enough to splash their clothes in by the spot where socrates talked with carmides beneath the plain of the danube and the meagre manzanares and many a stream beside and best of all to the english wanderer his own dear thames that silver name calls up pictures of osired reaches of shining spaces of water fluttered by the passing oar of green lawns reaching to the river's lip of backwaters where the water-red watches with amazement his reedy kingdom invaded by the darting canoe and gliding punt of pleasant rural inns dear to anglers of gardens and locks crowded with a gaily coloured crowd and all manner of craft of plashing wares of launches disturbing like leviathan the sanctity of the river god's repose but if such delicious glimpses of river life float across the fancy of him who thinks upon the sweet themes of spencer and of collins there are other aspects of the river which he is less likely or less willing to remember in its civic aspect the thames is less enchanting if the roman severity of the embankment lends it here and there something of an antique dignity its surroundings are principally grimy wharves the many-windowed backs of warehouses the landing-places of steamers the mouths of canals the mooring spaces of barges where the river widens towards greenwich welcoming the salt kisses of the sea there is a kind of marine beauty partly of actual fact partly of dear association which do much to redeem it but there are places along our london stream which are as unlovely as can well be found in any portion of the earth one of the ugliest spots in all the river is on the right bank beyond battersea just where the stream is thoroughly urban just where it seems to have abandoned all memories of the green fields it has passed 
of the wooded hills whose bases it has washed here in a wilderness of decaying wharves and tumble-down houses stood a certain building which demands our special attention the building has apparently once been a kind of boathouse but now it seemed to have been long disused it stood out in the river some feet from the shore on a platform supported on piles driven into the river-bed on one side some of the piles had settled down a little so that the whole house sloped slightly from the perpendicular rakishly like a knowingly adjusted somewhat inebriated bat the platform on which the house stood only extended about a foot all around the shanty so that any one who wanted to walk around the house would have to do so with dexterity with outstretched arms flattened against the wall or run the risk of immersion into the stream the hut had a door in front and a door at the back and a window on the upstream side whose damaged panes consisted principally of brown paper the building was connected with the shore by a sort of clumsy dilapidated bridge of planks rudely fastened together by the downstream corner of the river front an exceptionally dirty disreputable-looking dingy was moored the whole place in its squalor and neglect had a sinister even a villainous appearance nobody quite knew whom it belonged to and nobody cared it was rented people understood from a local landlord who grew rich on the rents of strange tenements and it occasionally had an occupant a red-haired red-bearded man who knew nobody and whom nobody knew or seemed to want to know the riverside population were incurious their own affairs occupied them sufficiently they had little leisure little inclination for the affairs of other people the occupant was at home one morning the door facing the river was open and let a certain amount of pale light into the sordid interior which in its decay carried out worthily the traditions of the exterior the occupant sat by one side of the door with his back to the wall in such a way as to obtain all the advantage of the light for he was reading without being seen from the outside he was red-haired and red-bearded between the red hair and the red beard and the raw fringe of red whisker there was not much of the occupant's face to be seen but his eyes were bright curious eyes and they did not somehow seem to be in keeping with the red hair the occupant seemed to be quite absorbed in his study he was reading a letter which bore signs of having been much read before and yet the familiarity of its contents did not appear to rob it of any of its interest in the eyes of the man who was reading it as soon as he came to the end of it he turned back again to the beginning and read it slowly over again his eye travelling steadily along the lines and never missing a single word 
presently he shook himself folded the letter up and was about to put it in his pocket then he paused as if changing his mind opened the letter again spread it carefully out and began to read it once more but this time aloud in a low measured monotonous voice he read it as if in the process of thus reading it aloud he was fulfilling some religious function going through some daily duty as indeed he was in the foreign lands where i have been he often said to himself sitting in that same place priests read their breviaries aloud to themselves daily this is my breviary and i read it aloud to myself daily though i know every word of it by heart the letter was not a very long one son japhet it began and as the man read those words his strange eyes looked stranger son japhet by the time you get this i shall be a good bit dead they are going to hang me blank them they've got the bulge on me for i meant to do for them and i did for some of them too be praised you know i always wanted to be a fine gentleman some day and i wanted you to be a fine gentleman too japhet and so you shall be though i don't live to see it i told you about our little diamond ring here there is to be the big divide next new year but i shan't be in it i shall be otherwise engaged blank them now the fewer there are to divide the more there will be for the survivors some of them have gone to kingdom come already never mind how i didn't think i should be joining them so soon but it was my own fault for letting them get the chance to have the drop on me however it's no use crying over spilt milk or spilt blood either for the matter of that my little game is just over japhet and your little game is going to begin they are scoring off me now japhet you've got to score off them by and by remember the divide's on new year's day every man that drops out of the running before then makes it a bigger pool to share if they all drop out except you why you are a rich man japhet one of the richest men in the world think of that and think of this too that if they are going to hang me in half an hour and if you are as good a pal to me as i have been to you you'll make some of them pay for it seth chickering's going to london soon he's been the worst of the gang against me all along london's a mighty dangerous playground japhet and it might be that seth came to harm suppose you looked after him a bit and kept him out of mischief eh and as for the others i don't know where the devil rat gundy has gone to he's a devil himself he is but he did me a blank good turn without knowing it when he shot Locke's silly heart out. Well, Japhet, I guess that's about all I've got to say, and not is as good as a wink to such a dark horse as you are. You've got to play for a big game, and if you win, why, you can boss the world. That's about the size of it. Blank them all. If I only had my old gun in my hand, how I would make them sing small, though they crow so loud now over the hanging of me. 
Remember that, Jaffet, they hanged your father, your father who was good to you and played a great game for you. You'll be serving your own turn as well as mine in thinning them out, so thin them out and be damned to them, and to you and to me too, which is what the parson says will happen. Your affectionate father, Noah Bland. When the man had finished reading the letter aloud, he gave a kind of groan, more like the growl of a wounded animal than any articulate human utterance. Then he folded the letter carefully, placed it back in its stained envelope with the Cape Colony stamps and Cape Town postmark, and put it back in his breast pocket. When he had done so, he sat still for some seconds, staring at the wall opposite, as if his whole attention was riveted to the fantastic movement of the sunlight as it danced, reflected from the water outside. But the man was not watching the sunlight, was not thinking of the sunlight. He was thinking of that queer South African tragedy, of the strange succession of deaths, of the lynching of Noah Bland, of the curiously transmitted heritage of hate and lust of blood and lust of gold. He was thinking of his own strange life and of its longings, of its desperate shifts and sins, of the endless pursuit of money, the quenchless thirst for power. Before his swimming eyes, the walls seemed alternately to show red with the stains of blood and to grow yellow with the glitter of gold faces rose up from the past the face of noah bland fierce forbidding powerful a face at once ambitious and bestial the face of a napoleon of gorillas there were other faces faces of men who had been noah bland's accomplices in his many dark leagues of crime faces of men who had been his victims hideous faces hopeless faces they all came crowding out upon his memory now as some great crowd rushes through an opened door some of those faces he had not thought of for years some he had almost forgotten some but these were fewer, he had wished to forget. As he sat there watching these faces of his fancy, they seemed to vanish, giving place to a single face, a strong, foolish, kindly face, framed in ruddy hair, a face that had been ruddy once, but now was pale in recent death. As that face floated into his mind, the man smiled in cruel satisfaction, but even as he did so, the smile died away, for that face had gone and given way to another, a woman's face, young and exquisitely fair, and as he thought of that face, he sprang to his feet with another animal-like cry, and flung up his arms, and opened and clenched his hands, as if he were grasping at something that was almost beyond his reach, and trying to drag it down to him. "'I will win that, too,' he muttered to himself, "'that and all.' He shook himself as a man might do who was trying to shake off sleep, and turning, 
walked to the open doorway and stood staring at the stream in the bright light he did not look attractive any one passing just then and seeing him any one with an eye to the fitness of things would have thought that the unpleasant neighbourhood had found a very appropriate inmate in this unpleasant figure but no one was passing the river was almost deserted save for some rare barges lazily moving along the man walked cautiously along the narrow platform till he came to the corner where the dingy was moored he got into the boat unfastened the rope that tied it lifted the skulls into the water and pushed off keeping the boat's head round he began to row upstream at first slowly but after a few seconds with such rapidity of stroke and such great muscular power that the dingy seemed almost to fly through the water the current was strong against him the wind was strong against him but he seemed to make light alike of wind and current as he rowed steadily on tearing his boat through the water and putting into every stroke an amount of skill and strength which would have delighted a university coxswain when he had gone a certain distance he suddenly slackened speed and turning his boat around with a few strong strokes he began to row as swiftly downstream he rowed for some time without stopping his strokes falling with exquisite regularity into the water at a uniform speed he passed along the unsightly old wharves till he came to battersea bridge and the beginning of the embankment after he shot the bridge his strokes became as steadily as before but somewhat slower and he dropped leisurely down the river till he came to that part of the embankment on which the old physic garden fronts here he suddenly shipped his oars and allowed the boat to rock upon the waters drifting slowly with the current while his eyes were fixed upon the red wall of a house to the right of the physic garden a red wall which he could just distinguish gleaming in the sunlight through its screen of guardian trees as he gazed his lips moved and he muttered to himself to win or to lose he said to win or lose to win that is worth all the rest but to win that and to win the rest to win all that is the great game that is the game to play that is the game to win he was silent for a few seconds while his boat drifted idly upon the idle waters then when he had fairly dropped below the physic garden and out of sight of the red walls on which his thoughts were fixed he caught up the oars again and turned his boat head round and rowed without a pause as fast as he could back to the crazy building which he had chosen for an abode he tied up his boat and entered the place as he trod the crazy old timbers seemed to tremble and when he flung himself into a chair the edifice shook he sat in moody silence for a while then he rose 
and going to a little cupboard in a corner he took out a small bottle containing a dark ruby-coloured liquid he held the bottle up to the light and looked at it with a grim smile not quite the kind of stuff to make the hand steady and the mind cool he muttered to himself but i want it to-day i want it to-day he poured a quantity of the fluid into a glass and held the glass in his hand meditatively while he still muttered to himself here are power and love and riches everything for which one longs and hopes and fights full triumph full revenge all in the magic of those dark drops he shrugged his shoulders and laughed bitterly it is as good as the real thing while it lasts he said and he spoke as if he were sneering at himself here goes here's luck and he drank the fluid down then he flung himself upon the ground again with his back to the wall and sat there silent motionless staring at the door and watching with glazed eyes the visions begotten of the drug End of chapter 14